welcome to another Cinemaholics Last Call, a bonus segment of the show where we devote some time to film discussion that we didn't have time for in our weekly round of reviews. So this week, that film is The Kid Who Would Be King from director Joe Cornish. This film is opening in theaters on January 25th, but before we get into it, let's introduce our panel. First up, he is the Cinemaholic who practically coined the term. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend and a film critic for the playlist Cutprint Film and Your Hearts. He's Will Ashen. Hi, John. Hi. How's it going, Will? I'm all right. How you doing? It's getting a little late. Later for you than it is for me, but yeah. Yeah, but I we'll make it through it. it. We'll do it. I'm your normal but not too normal host, John Agroni. I write books and internet articles about films all over the internet, including Adam Insider, Relevant Magazine, and The Young Folks. And we have a special guest for this special Last Call episode. He is a writer and critic for The Playlist, The Nashville Scene, and The Homepages in Williamson County in the United States of America. Welcome to Cinemaholics for the first time, Corey Woodruff. Hello, John. Hello, Will. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm a, I'm a longtime listener and a friend of you both, so it's nice to be on the show and uh, get to uh, talk shop. Yeah, Corey, I'm glad you said yes to doing this. I yeah. wasn't sure. I really wasn't. <laughs> uh, you know, I was. We were able to work it out with our agents. You know, trying to get all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the right people talk to the right people. Exactly. No, but I mean, we we've we've tweeted each other multiple times. But I didn't know. Like, I don't know if you listen to the show. I don't. I just know that you're friends with Will in some mysterious way. I still don't know fully how you all became friends in the first place. But I'm just going along for the ride. Dark magic. That's about the only way I know how to describe it. Makes sense to me. Now, we're going to be talking about The Kid Who Would Be King, again, that was written and directed by Joe Cornish. And this is a, well, it's not a 100% of a British film, because part of it was produced by some American producers. This is a 20th Century Fox film, for example. Now, again, it's coming out January 25th. It's releasing in the UK February 15th. So big Valentine's Day movie, right? Which I find interesting because this is the kind of film that you would expect would come out in the UK first. You know, that's not uncommon. You would think. Yes, there's a weird delay going on here. But we are talking about it a little ahead of time because we alluded to this in the main show. But January is going to be a very chaotic month. We, of course, the the next episode after this is going to be our 100th episode. We're going to be talking about glass and... Will and I, we're just not sure how things are going to pan out, so we wanted to get this out of the way. Talk about The Kid Who Would Be King, give it its own thing, because we don't know if we're going to be able to record an episode in between, because Sundance is going to be happening, and drama, 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 you understand the deal. Now, all three of us have seen this film ahead of time, so it works out, but Will, why don't you walk us through who is in this film, and what is The Kid Who Would Be King? Why should we care about it? Yeah, so The Kid Who Would Be King is, I guess, loosely um, an adaptation of The Once and Future King. Is that the name of the book that King Arthur is based upon? Am well, I no, because I mean, that correctly from high school? It's, it's something. So, this is the weird history of that phrase because it's a more direct reference of The Man Who Would Be King, the John Huston film. Because there's even a callback to that, because in this film, the main character's name is Alexander Elliott, and in Man Who Would Be King, you know, they're all pretending to be these kings related to Alexander the Great. So I don't know, but I know Once in Future King is an Arthurian thing, but I think this film is playing with multiple jokes, if that makes any sense. Sure. I don't know if that, is it technically like free access to that mythology now? Oh, it's Sherlock Holmes I think it's public, yeah, public domain. And because those Arthurian legends have been around for so long, I don't think anyone really owns that as far as I understand. 
Right. I just didn't know because the film does. It's not say like it's not. It doesn't say anything like based on the characters or based on the book by. Right. So, so. Yeah. It's it not King says, Arthur of uh, Legend yeah. of the Kid Who Would Be King. Yeah. It's directed by Guy Ritchie. Sure. <laughs> yes. Indeed. <laughs> um, so in any case, uh, the plot of the film is centered around a kid named Alex, who is played by Lewis Ashbourne Circus. Who, uh, if you're wondering to yourself, hey, is that the kid of Andy Circus? You are correct. Um, he was also in Mowgli. You might remember him. He was the little uh, albino cub that was friends with Mowgli. Little creepy film. when you um, consider that film. But yeah, we won't, we won't spoil Mowgli: Legend of the Jungle. Uh, yeah, I mean it's on Netflix. You can feel free not to watch it. Um, um, <laughs> but uh, it's a case, good movie. Will we don't have to argue about this again, do we? <laughs> I we don't have to. No. Hmm, um, okay. In any case, yeah, he is. Are, are we going to have another discussion about Mowgli, King <laughs> no, of the I Jungle? Think, this is it. You could just, just, just cut it clean, Will. Just get right in. Yeah. I'm so dependent on that that we might need to consult the rule book there. Mm. All right. In any case, uh, so Lewis Circus is uh, a kid named Alex in the film. He is a fairly ordinary kid. Uh, he is uh, sing- he, he has like a single parent. He gets bullied a lot, but he kind of just does his own thing. But uh, like many kids in these type of films, he is destined for greatness. And sure enough, one day he stumbles upon Excalibur uh, in a, um, I think, a built apartment complex that they're building or something it's like, like a that. Construction. I exactly and it's like a construction. And it's the real Excalibur. It's not like, you know, yeah. just a fake. Right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it would technically be a flat complex, I guess, because it's a, it's a British thing. But um, in any there case, go, yeah, yeah. So he finds Excalibur. And sure enough, Merlin comes to a school and he finds that he is destined for fate, a fate that he may not necessarily want, but he's destined to anyway. And he rounds up a couple of his friends and enemies even, and they fight great evil and they hopefully persevere. Yeah. And I guess yeah. that's a plot synopsis. So Joe Cornish, <laughs> he also did he also did Attack the Block. And Attack the Block there are some similar things like you can make a couple of jokes of like, cause attack the block is like, okay, group of friends, they unite with someone they don't like to fight like a mysterious evil. They have like swords that go through their backpacks, you know, stuff like that. And it's kind of like an action mm-hmm. sort of thing. But that movie was like way more of an R rated feature. Whereas this is absolutely like a family film. If that makes any for, sense. For the younglings. For, for the, the younglings. Yeah, yeah. For the, for the young, for the princes and princesses. Now, yep. so this film also stars Tom Oops. Taylor, who uh, you may remember from The Dark Tower, which, Will, I mean, do you remember anything about that movie, the Idris Elba, Stephen oh, King adaptation? Dark Tower? Yeah, he, Jake Chambers. Yeah, um, I remember I saw it after Detroit, mm-hmm. like right oh. after Detroit. Weird double like, feature. Really, I think it was a triple feature, actually. I think I saw that with Atomic Blonde. So it was like a weird day for me. But I remember I was like really processing. Uh, um, I was really processing Detroit. Yeah. And I don't think I really. Uh, now I know why I didn't hear I from you I for had... a couple of days after that, because I think you were just in self-imposed isolation or something. I would be. Something like that. And I remember thinking uh, the Dark Tower was uh, pretty much just a waste. Could have been a really cool like HBO miniseries. And it yeah. wasn't. It was like some bland stupid. Splan uh, Sony movie, but they didn't more really know a what waste to do with of, a pretty good. It was more of a waste of Idris Elba's time than anybody else's, if you ask me. But yeah, 
basically, yeah, he was actually he was doing some solid work in there, and unfortunately, it was not well rewarded. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, well, Tom Tom Taylor was the very forgettable sort of audience surrogate in that film. He sort of travels to the mm. other universe, and in this movie, he is one of the bully characters, uh, mm. the one with like the bleached blonde hair. He uh, doesn't do much in this film in the second half, but the first half, he's pretty significant. You're gonna say. I just I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, yeah, and then it, I I was looking at the rest of the cast because I wasn't familiar with Angus Emery who plays he plays Merlin, so he swaps Merlin yeah. duties with Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart plays his older self, and Angus, uh, for what I could tell, he was in one film called Pond Life, and he's been the voice of a character in a prominent BBC radio show called The Archers. I don't know if it's BBC actually, but I, I know it's some pretty popular show out there uh, regardless he plays merlin and i think uh rebecca ferguson yeah she's the she's the villain in this the morgana yes yeah, obviously she was um filming this the same time as uh mission impossible fallout right mm-hmm. yeah yeah on the weekends apparently <laughs> <laughs> i think uh oh, yeah. so lady k who you know all of these names are kind of like derived from the King Arthur Knights and then Lady Case played by Rihanna Doris, who I think is a relative newcomer. And you, you have some like British UK actors here and there that some people might recognize. I think Dean Shamu, who plays betters is also a newcomer, but Denise Goff who plays Alex's mother is a little bit more well-known. I, I know I recognized her from a few things I've seen. So that said, uh, Corey Woodruff, you saw this film alongside Will Ashen. First of all, what is it like watching a movie with Will Ashen? I'm just curious. He won't. Oh, I'm curious as he well. He won't stop talking the entire movie. He just will. Like, he, he just and he doesn't even oh, talk yeah. about the kid that would be king. He just wanted to like talk about uh, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. That's what he talks about the entire time. Will Ashen. I actually kind of figured that was the case, but Will, I'm I'm shocked. I will never watch a movie with you now. Thank you, Corey. He was like handing out flyers to folks about that. It was really like. What's on the flyers? Zack Snyder. Yeah, it's like hashtag release the Snyder cut. Release the Snyder cut. You can't put a hashtag on a poster, Will Ashton. Oh my goodness, where does it end? This is out in the Pittsburgh snow, just handing it to people. (laughs) So what you're saying is, movies with Will are an unforgettable experience to be shared by all. It really is. No, he's a great movie co-pilot. I mean, you know, it's like it's it's just it's a very delicate balance because you don't want to like be with somebody who's going to talk too much or you know you want to yeah. have somebody that you can like crack an occasional joke to. But Will's Will's a premier movie companion. He, he gets a plus A from me. Does he like? Do you do you guys have to do like the Thank buffer you. seat? Or are you able to sit side by side co-pilots? Uh, uh, we sat next to each other. Yeah. yeah okay. That's what I like to hear. So there was no, yeah, it was just like, we're comfortable with each other. We're hanging out. Does Will get snacks? No. Um, no. No, he's not a snacker. Corey doesn't like popcorn. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, we, I don't we should. Like mm. yeah. What's that about? Which, Corey, are you more of a, do you like nachos, hot dog? I mean, do you alternative snacks or That's nothing? Weird. Usually when I'm watching a movie, I want to eat candy and I want to eat the candy by the previews. I don't like eating when I'm watching a movie. I just get so zoned You don't want that crunch. Stuff. Yeah. Because it blocks yeah. out the sound and I, I totally I know. terrible. When I was at, uh, I went to go see Shoplifters up at the wonderful Harris Theater, which I know Will works at in Pittsburgh. Um, wonderful film. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. My business out there, Corey. Yeah, it is. 
Well, have you seen? Have you had a chance to see Shoplifters yet, or it was is that still in my honorable mentions for the oh. best of the year list? Yeah, I love. Sorry, that sorry, it slipped my mind. I for some reason I was thinking <laughs> that was going to make your like top ten, and when it didn't, I think I'm just still in denial a little bit. I mean, it wasn't in my top ten. It wasn't even in my honorable mentions, but still. Oh, so good. But my problem with that is that I was at the little theater, and it's a small theater, so you, the sound, it's very sensitive with sound, and I didn't realize that Swedish Fish, the packages on that were so loud. Yeah. It's just like mm-hmm. paper that they use. For just Swedish Fish individually, it just felt like I was taking the piece of paper and rubbing it all over the ground really fast. And every time I would move, it would be really loud. And like there are twelve people in there, and it's like this movie is an incredibly intense. You don't want to be that guy, yeah. No, it's like it's just Swedish fish. They're not that good, and this movie is way better mm-hmm. than Swedish fish. But <laughs> and I like dropped a box at one point. I was a well. Mess. At least I mean, during Shoplifters, the silver lining is that that film has subtitles, so yeah. any any extravagant noise, people can still read and be like, all right, well, at least yeah. I know what they're saying. No, and at least I paid for the Swedish fish. I didn't try to steal them or anything. Just to like get too much in the mood for the movie but. well thank yeah. you Corey. I, I i just wanted to be caught up on will ashen's theater habits i don't expect him to tell me straight up what what that's like so i, I appreciate yeah. you setting the record straight thank you yeah absolutely he gets a great a from me for film companion oh are we gonna talk about the kid who would be king at any point I mean, we'll, or we'll get to here? it we'll get to it but uh yeah go ahead Corey. what, what did you yeah. think of the kid who would be king I really liked it. Um, you know, there's something really bittersweet about this movie for me because I think it shows that Joe Cornish is still trying to find himself as a director. And I just get so frustrated to think, like, why didn't why in the world after Attack the Block did this guy not have at least one or two more projects in between these two to continue to hone his voice? And I mean, you know, there's there's a really good filmmaker in there. Like somebody that really I think could be a standard amongst one of the better people working in town. But I think the problem with, you know, going eight years between a movie and having that be your first and your second feature is he's obviously been around the business, but you know, this is a really good movie, but it's a really long movie too. And I wonder if, you know, maybe if he had had a few more films under his belt, this one of this film would have been more precise. So I get a little bit bittersweet to think like, you know, as really good as I think The Kid Who Would Be King is, and I think it is really good. I think it's just a really spirited family film that does a really good job, I think, of, you know, meshing ideology with excitement. And I think when you do that with family entertainment, it's tough because, you know, I think one of the things with family entertainment is when you want to get across an idea, you have to be careful about being too cloying. Because one thing about children audiences is they're not – they're not that basic, okay? Like they don't need you to really hammer in points that much. Mm. And I think when you see certain films, you know, it's not a movie that has ideas in it necessarily, but I think about that Peter Rabbit movie last year and just how cloying that was and how they really were <laughs> almost, almost kind of condescending to the young you're, audience. You're the only person still thinking about Peter Rabbit. I hate to break the scene. I am. never forget. Peter Rabbit. I forgot like, about that film immediately after seeing it, so I actually applaud you. Remember- you remember... They murdered. Do you remember when, when? It was bad. Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Do you I remember just, when our? What was uh, that? Oh man, I was gonna say. Do you remember when the title character of that movie tried to murder? Yeah. Uh, no. Dom Helk least. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, that was probably it was the most memorable part. It's bad. But oh, no, um, that's I a, contend that that is a gentleman's C plus movie. But go ahead, <laughs> not that good. It's <laughs> fine. We'll I think I, I think I did give it a C. But yeah, 
It's it's it was my favorite family film of 2018 that featured murder by rabbits. That'd be my <laughs> Surprising, I don't know, because the favorite also, well, there's nobody to be surprised. What about that Watership Down remake that they just came out? Oh, that's true. Rabbit and no rabbits are official. No rabbit is officially killed in the favorite. I think you're misremembering a certain scene or two. Oh, no, but yeah, the rabbits all made it out okay. Now they got close. I mean, yeah, mm. it was. The rabbits were not in a good position in that movie, but. That was know, my favorite was- climax of 2018. I'll give it that. Yeah, I mean, just. Oh, uh, I. More ways than one, I guess. Uh, well, actually, no, I don't know what to talk. What movie <laughs> does sorry. not have murder rabbits is the kid who would be king. And yeah, I, I really, with this one, I just respected the fact that they really were trying to get some ideas across. And obviously, you do have to kind of spell it out at times when you're going for a younger audience. But I think what Cornish did a really good job of, and I didn't know this was an original script. Obviously, yeah. they're going off of old mythology and old legends, but. You know, this feels like a very personal film for him because I think it's, you know, the base of it is, is that it's Cornish writing the script of trying to inspire, you know, youth across the world. And I think specifically in his home country in the UK to say, hey, look, we're in a time right now where everyone's angry and everyone's upset, but you can still be chivalrous. You can still have zeal and honor to yourselves. And I think that, you know, in trying to show characters change and adapt to those ideas, it's. It's very obvious, you know, like a lot of people have noted, it's it's very much a reactionary piece to Brexit, and it's very reactionary to the political climate that I think the globe is kind of ensnared in right now, and it's really interesting. This is really one of the first times where I can look at a exact, you know, family piece of entertainment and say that they're trying to meet the moment, and, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of strong filmmaking in it. I think there's a lot of really good stuff. It's way too long. It needs a way firmer edit, but this is just a really admirable film to me, and I think it just shows a voice that's still trying to find himself, but there's just so much excitement that flares up that, you know, I'm really, really, really excited to see where Cornish goes from here. Yeah, I think we were talking about this before the recording, but I've yet to find a review that doesn't mention Brexit, right? (laughs) And for listeners who are unaware, if you aren't as clued in, Brexit is a very significant political moment in the UK right now. And especially in the last couple of days, it's been all over the news, the votes all over the place. And it's a, it's, it's a big divisive political headache going on for the people who live in the UK and for people who live in the European Union. And it's this big decision right now going on about what's going to happen and how it's going to affect people. And what I like about this movie a lot is that it sort of filters all of that anxiety through the perspective of children and mm-hmm. Arthurian legends and the film pretty overtly reconciles this idea of using fantasy to sort of escape from current events until you can't anymore, until the current events creep into your fantasy and you have no choice but to use your own nobility, your own, as you mentioned, chivalry to sort of combat those forces head on with your generation. And Mm. that's a big reason why I really, really was endeared to this film as an American, as someone who my country is going through something pretty different from Brexit circumstantially, but contextually, you know, what America is going through is not all that different. And so we have a lot to sort of find in this film, some common ground with our colleagues in the UK who are feeling like the world is just collapsing all around us. But Will Ashton, you know, <laughs> that's obviously a pretty serious note to jump off of. But I mean, where we're mm-hmm. at with this film, I know that you know, Attack the Block was a film, I, I think we've talked about it briefly before. I think you liked that one, right? I did. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, 
I thought it was a very exceptional directorial debut, and I was really looking forward to what Joe Cornish would do next after that film. And I was surprised that, like Corey was saying, that it took this long for his second film. I mean, obviously, he's been working as a screenwriter for a good bit of time since yeah, then. Yeah, well, uh, the only Tintin. he did Tintin, but yeah, he also did uh, Ant Man in 2015. Somewhat, yeah. Right. I would say probably like his. You're talking about his script with uh, Edgar Wright. which was uh, probably used somewhat sparingly in the ultimate final product. But he did work on that quite extensively. And I think there's another film he was involved in, but I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. But in any case, he um, was, he was originally supposed to do Star Trek beyond and he was going to be the director of that film. Yeah. But then he was replaced by Roberto Orchi, which is a little unfortunate because I, I'm one of the, I guess, few people who didn't really love Star Trek Beyond, and I got excited, like very excited about Joe Cornish taking that on personally. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why uh, he didn't. I guess I mean it's a big project for him, and I think this is even a pretty big project for him to take on as a sure. second film, as Corey yeah. mentioned. Um, but as a film, no, I mean it wasn't what I expected from him when I was thinking like, what would he be his follow up? Mm. But at the same time, there is, I, and similar to um, Attack the Block, there is like kind of. Uh, what's the company called? Is Ambien or I keep mispronouncing it. Someone Amblin? called me out on this. For Amblin, there you go. I keep wanting yeah, to call yeah. it Ambien. Uh, yeah, I think that is yeah. a Freudian's Ambien slip. Well, actually, I don't know what. We'll let it I don't know what that is. Films that have been kind of Ambien recently. But... <laughs> what what is it? What is it? No, Tylenol? Uh, no, no. It's uh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> oh, what's going on this thing? But um. <laughs> <laughs> any case, yeah, there is that kind of ambulant quality to it where it has that kind of uh, Spielberg influence where kids browning up and, you know, fighting against powers yeah. that they can't really control. And you can certainly Mother see character how... who is concerned and can't do anything about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can certainly I mean, once you break down the core components of each film, you can definitely see, oh, yeah, this is definitely Joe Cornish through and through. But as a film, uh, I did enjoy it. I, I thought it was good fun. Um, I thought it had a good energy to it. I thought it had a good heart. Uh, like you both mentioned, it has a political message I think is pretty well handled. And I think there's a maturity to the film that I found fairly endearing. But I do think, like Corey was saying, it's just too long. And I also think it's a little formulaic for its own good. Um, I, I felt like the beats were a little too predictable. I felt like you could kind of piece where it was going throughout there wasn't really that much suspense or uh, sense of intrigue, I guess, for what was going to happen. I felt like you could kind of figure it out. Even if I was a kid, I feel like I could pretty much figure out what was going to happen in any given scene. But uh, as a film, I think it's solid. I think, as we mentioned, the performances are really solid, especially from, um, oh, what's that dude's name? Uh, Angus Embry or Emery? Yeah, I-M-R-I-E. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, so we apologize, of course. But that guy, he is, I can't wait to see what he does next. Um, Mm -hmm. He is fantastic in this film. And uh, I was telling telling, uh, John off the air, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Corey, but I really, really hope there's a film or a show in the future where uh, him and Mackenzie Davis play brother and sister because they look (laughs) almost like to me. And uh, I found it pretty jarring watching this film. Uh, Like, just like imagining his character in this and Tully together. What, yeah. what kind of movie would that uh, <laughs> Hollywood list? Um, in any case, uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think it's fun um, and I can fully support any movie that puts Patrick Stewart in a Led Zeppelin shirt while he's playing a wizard, uh, especially <laughs> Merlin. But uh, 
Yeah, it's solid, but I feel like I'm kind of more negative than both of you so far. Mm. It's weird because I sort of agree with you because there are beats of this that are absolutely predictable. You're like, okay, I know what's going to happen next. I know kind of how they're going to tie this in, especially if you've seen the trailer. There are certain, certain moments in this film where you're like, well, I know that because I've seen the trailer, this is going to happen and so on. If you haven't seen the trailer yet, I actually recommend that you don't because it might help with Me some too. of that suspense and intrigue because – yeah, like it, it does sort of paint your expectations in a subtle way. I was still able to thoroughly enjoy this film, however, because I just think that the even though it is a little bit too long, I think we can all agree on that, the pacing does still keep you going. And, and I do want to say I, I was at a screening with a particularly high amount of kids, and I was mm-hmm. worried, guys. I, I was sitting there, and I was thinking to myself, this movie is 132 minutes long. And like there were scenes where I was like, there hasn't been an action scene in a while. There hasn't been any special effects. And I was worried. I was thinking the kids were going to get fed up. There was going to be some crying. There was going to be some, I got to go to the bathroom, you know, stuff like that. The kids (laughs) in my audience take it anecdotally. They were enchanted by this film. I haven't seen something like it in a while. Not probably not since like the jungle book, which very similar sort of press screening where people were just, glued to the screen and and kids really loved this movie and i was thinking a lot about this and my theory is that i just think that lewis ashburn circus is a very lovable character he sort of reminded me as a tj from recess where he just has that affable almost blank slate average kid who you can insert yourself into him but at the same time he's complicated he has feelings and emotions and desires but they're so universal without being cliche that I think kids just kind of can kind of watch it and either look up to him or just directly relate with him. And I think that that had a, a huge effect on me sort of sticking with this movie, even when I sort of predicted what was going to happen. I just think that seeing certain frames of this film, because I do think a lot of the cinematography was pretty great. Yeah. The moments that stuck out for me were when he and his friends were in these scenes with their kind of... Arthurian swords brandished through their backpacks going across the English countryside. That stuck out to me so much. And I think kids saw that and they also found some aspiration to it as well. But I don't know. Am I alone on that, Corey? Or do you think I'm insane? Well, you know, I think you bring up something that really I think is the crux of why this movie I think will have shelf life is because, you know, there's something about family film to me that I think sometimes can get a bad rap, you know, just as as a typical genre. I think it's the easily, most easily dismissed unless the film is just so appealing to all ages. But this one in particular to me, I think this film is insanely creative and it is so perfectly creative for a young audience. And I think with memorable family films, you just, you have to be able to be created in ways that children can really adapt to. Um, because you can, to me, you can almost get a little too high on your own supply almost when you're trying to go for all these high concepts and you can almost turn kids kind of away from what you're trying to say. Because, you know, you look at Paddington too, and that film is so great because, you know, it's just the, the creativity is just on full display and it's just so well done. It's just the way that he kind of engages the set pieces and kind of the, what Paul King is so great as a director is just building so many things on top of each other, making it so layered and deep, but the themes are obvious, and it's just not a hard movie to really tap into. And I think that 
when you can say something plainly and do it in a way that is just so ingenious, I think you really can take a young audience and really entrap them in something cool. And I, this is the kind of movie I would have loved when I was like 12 or 13 years old. Um, this is just the kind of movie where you can really just you, you get excited about it because I think for a lot of young film fans, they can watch this film and feel like this is not trying to pander to me. This film is trying to invite me into something new. And I think that these can be gateways for people to get into other levels of film. Um, and one film it really reminds me of uh, is a 2004 title, um, Danny Boyle's Millions, which is uh, a oh, very yeah. – mm-hmm. it's a kind of a – they're different films in terms of the genre, but they're both about young children going on these adventures with a backdrop of what's going on in their country. And obviously, you know, it's not real in Millions because it's kind of them switching from the pound to the euro. And obviously the economics and – the UK have changed over the years pretty rapidly, but this film was kind of reactionary to the political moment of what was going on. It was based on the book um, by Frank Cosford Boyce. And I remember the way Boyle directed it. You know, this was right around the time he did 28 Days Later. It was just a fascinating kind of <laughs> back-to-back for him. But I just remember watching Millions as a kid and just thinking, this is really cool. And it's like, it's not just a good movie that I enjoyed and I appreciated what it was trying to do. You just kind of feel a little bit of a swagger almost being like, hey, this is like a this is a step up for me. I'm watching this movie made in Britain that's for my audience, but it's kind of got some loftier themes in it that I'm able to tap into because it's told in a way that I can do it. And I think that, you know, it's just it was a, such a cool title and that introduced me to Danny Boyle and it kind of really got me in to learn more about his filmography. And I think that this film can do that with young kids that especially are into movies, you know, they can look at Joe Cornish and be like, Oh, well, that's the guy that worked with Edgar Wright. You know, maybe if I get a little older, I can maybe (laughs) when my mom or dad isn't watching, put hot fuzz in, which is what I did when I was in eighth grade. You know, it's like, I just love movies like this because they're, they're perfectly made to, they can engage young audiences, try them with some new ideas and some new things, pull their creativity just a little bit further, but also speak to them on a level that they can understand. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, really big, when a great family film comes along that can really kind of bring on this new generation of film people. So I'm, I'm pretty high on that aspect. I couldn't agree with you more because the whole time I was watching this, I was having that same feeling where, Oh man, this is not a kid's movie that condescends to the kids in the audience. It doesn't treat them like they're idiots. There might be some predictable, some cliche things, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, it does go in directions where I personally, I wasn't a hundred percent sure where it was going to go in certain moments. And I really appreciated it for that. And, you know, I didn't think of Danny Boyle, but you just sort of describing Millions. It's kind of funny to me because I had a somewhat similar experience with The Slumdog Millionaire, right? Mm. Where I was watching that when I was, I don't know, like 20 or something like that. And I remember watching that film and sort of being like, wow, so this is a film that can take me into sort of another realm without making me feel like an idiot, like so many other artistic quote unquote films that had come out that year. But Will Ashen, you know, we've been raving. We've been saying like, we really enjoy this one for the most part. And, and it's clear that Corey and I had a good time. It sounds like you have a little bit more negative on this film. So let's zero in on that. Who broke your heart and what happened to you in your childhood? Let's, let's talk about it. Mm. Oh man. I didn't know my therapist was in the room. Uh, Janine, Janine, this is it. Come on, go on. Hold on. She's on mute, but she's listening. Go ahead. No. No. I apologize, Janine. I know this is a late call. From Um, the internet, Pittsburgh, Dr. (laughs) Janine. Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, Oh, man. Wow, you actually knew that. 
wow. I'm impressed, John. I used to live on the East Coast. Oh, yeah. I know the insurance providers. Uh, that is true. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but you asked what I disliked about the film. Uh, I feel like I'm not that strongly negative. I just feel like I'm more negative than you two are. I mean, ultimately, I do like the film. Uh, I think Corey can't test as much. I enjoyed my experience with the film. Mm. I just felt you were talking about the pacing. I felt like the film had like four endings. That was kind of weird. It had like a kind of stop and start style to it where like there's a point in the film where it's like this feels like a clear climax. Like it doesn't feel like a great climax, but it feels like a climax. But like you were saying, John, earlier, like I knew from the trailer, like, oh, this can't be the climax because there's this whole thing with the school that's going to come up. And so, like, I wasn't super invested in that part, but it felt like, oh, this is very much like what a traditional climax would be. And then once we keep going on and on, it kind of feels like it's stopping, starting a little bit in a way that feels like, okay, this might be uh, where Joe Cornish's experience is coming in, where he's not quite able to swiftly kind of move through the plot mechanics in a way that feels very natural. But, I mean, you can argue that any real flaw that the movie has is pretty endearing. Like, I don't think... uh, Rebecca Ferguson's villain's character is very well uh, developed or mm. really, I don't think you could say more about her character that than you can fill in like a paragraph at that. For but sure. there is kind of like a schlocky silliness to her character that I find is kind of silly in a fun way. Like she spends half the movie tied to a, a tree or a wall or something. <laughs> and she's like chewing her way through the scenery <laughs> to get to these kids. <laughs> Those were the scenes uh, when she was she was uh, like she would come out of the tree and then she'd be like, all right, I got to shoot the scene for Mission Impossible Fallout real quick. It's like, what am I going to do today? I'm all I'm on the tree again. OK, uh, let's do this. Uh, the tree. Come on. Oh, man. Uh, Corey, didn't you make a comment about that? I think I forget what you actually said about it. I may not even have heard of it, but um, you were saying it, it reminded you of some show. What Her whole thing, the Mighty Boosh, maybe. Oh yeah, it reminded me. Were you talking about the? That's what it looked like. It looked like uh, old Greg from the Mighty Boosh, which is a oh, British I didn't even comic. think of that. Yeah, I just thought of old Greg because it's just it, she had like all the <laughs> like roots hanging off of her, and I just like mm-hmm. the whole time I was kind of like old Greg. That's what this reminds me of. This is like old Greg's girlfriend, you know. It's basically I'm, plagiarism. I'm, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean. Uh, I'm impressed by a number of uh, British references we've been able to fill into this episode. I feel it's very fitting. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, I just feel like I just have some criticisms. Mainly it just comes down to I find the film fairly formulaic in a way that uh, didn't fully engage me. But like Corey was saying, this movie is for mostly 12-year-olds, and I'm a 25-year-old, so I don't expect the movie to fully work for me. But I can certainly appreciate it for what it's going to do. And I think it's certainly going to find an audience. Uh, I will say that I think Corey can't test as much that um, the film was certainly working for our audience as well. And they kept doing the uh, hand thing throughout the whole movie, which I think I feel bad for every single parent. Uh, Just a forewarning. If you take your kids to see this movie, there's a good chance for like the rest of the week. They're going to do these like hand motions. I can attest. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for the last seven days, I've been doing that hand motion, and I've found some success. I feel like I'm in Harry Potter sometimes. Oh, man. We were talking, Corey and I, when we were going to the car after the movie, we were talking about, like, if there was a guy on set who was, like, very uh, strict and rigorous about, like, what hand moments to do. Right, yeah. Because to us, it's, like, you know, gibberish. 
And there's some guys that's like, no, 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 no. It's not do, 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 do. It's yeah, yeah. Do, you, do, you like, snapped in the wrong place. Is this amateur hour? <laughs> yeah. Is this oh, amateur okay. hour? It's our circus. If you don't get this right, we've got more yeah. of the waiting for yeah. in the wings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Joe Cornish is like, uh, oh, that looks pretty good. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, Cornish. We got to do this again. I want to believe it was actually... I want to believe it was Andy Circus. He was on set. Actually, he was like, "No son of mine is going to do anything." Okay, can we talk about how this movie keeps setting up uh, without getting the spoilers? The Andy Circus or um, Lewis Circus's character—they keep referencing his dad throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's was, a very oh, fun Andy sort of meta Circus. moment. Yeah, where you're like, "Oh, we're gonna Andy yeah. Circus is in this because they keep referencing his dad," and we're not going to spoil anything. Obviously, will, but go on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you expect Andy Circus to show up in the movie, uh, um, keep keep your expectations at bay. I guess you're gonna have to wait for the sequel. And I, I have to say, guys, I mean, if we're on the topic, I really appreciate what this film was able to do with Lewis Circus. I, I'm very excited about this kid's career. I just think that there was something, there was a very affable charm about him. And I think that like, I mean, I've already sort of said this before, but I think that he wasn't overshadowed, I think by his dad's cloud, you know, because I could tell by the kids watching the film, like they don't know who Andy circus is. They don't know that that's Gollum's kid. They were just watching it and they just saw a kid oh, on screen. who was, kid. <laughs> what'd you say? Oh man. I was laughing. You... you call him Gollum's kid. Like, <laughs> yeah, King Kong Jr. over here. <laughs> Blue too, but why not? You know. Oh well, didn't Caesar's kid die in one of those Planet of the Apes movies? Um, no, but I, I honestly, I honestly really appreciate this film just for how its leading actor was well directed, and I think Joe Cornish has a lot to do with that. I also am a big fan of Attack the Block, and I think one of the big reasons why Attack the Block works as well as it does is because that main gang of characters, they're, they're kids, they're teenagers. You find out late in that film that the, the leader, Moses, is only 15, or he's supposed to be 15, played by uh, John Boyega. And I just think that Joe Cornish is just really good at directing younger actors. Like, I, I think that he's good at directing them with like having an energy and an urgency that kids can relate to. If you recall from Attack the Block, I, I literally just rewatched it, and it really holds up, by the way. The, the two young kids, Probs and Mayhem, mm. I, I forgot how great they are in that film. And I, I think it's, it's Joe Cornish. I just think he's a great writer when it comes to kid actors. Like he knows how to like write them in a way where they're saying things that you're like, they're, they're right for a film because they're fun and exciting, not necessarily realistic to what kids would say. But you don't for a second think – Oh, kids would never say that if that makes any sense. It's a weird in between. But I think that also translates to this film. And I don't think this film has strong characters in every department. I think that outside of Alex and his like close friends and Merlin, you don't really have a lot of strong dimensional characters. The, the other school mm -hmm. kids, there's not much to them. The headmasters and kid teachers, there's not much to them. His mom. I mean, there's some emotional stuff there, but it's not profound. It's not, you know, Will, it's funny because we were talking about mid-90s before we were, you know, recording this 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 uh, episode. Yeah, and I was, 
I was listening to that episode that we did in mid nineties. It's it's an unrelated thing. And you kind of brought up that whole thing about how a big thing about that movie was the like motherhood aspect, like mothers of young kids. And I got to say that I had a similar sort of reaction with, with this film compared to mid nineties, where I feel like that's something that it has a resolution with the kid and his mom, but it's mm. not quite as satisfying as the script sets it up to be. So I think that that is a valid complaint that I think some people might have yeah. if they're really yeah. nitpicking the kid who would be king, which I would find kind of funny if they were in the first place. Am I the only one when you thought about this movie that thought about that kid in King Arthur's Court, the Disney movie that came out? Yes, and like, you are the only the one. Who was, just... Wasn't that a, that was the guy from American Pie, right? What's, what's his name? Thomas Ian Nichols, yeah. He, that guy... Oh my word. We talked about that guy last year or two years ago, I want to say on Cinemaholics because he was, I know exactly what you're talking about, Corey. I remember watching that movie and uh, mm-hmm. angels in the outfield or whatever else he did, but he had, he was part of this like weird scam uh, thing. Oh, do you remember yeah. that? Will? the yeah. handbook for mortals. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. It was a YA yeah. novel. Didn't you read that book? No. Are you kidding me? Um, I did oh, see I it in did. a bookstore and no, no, we had oh. Kaylee Donaldson on. What'd you say? Yeah. Did you say no, no, Lee I, Israel? I it's real. I thought you said Lee Israel. No, no, I, I was like, no, Will, <laughs> she's dead. Roman. No, no. Jeez. Uh, no, I was saying it's real. Like the book yeah, is actually it a is real, real. Thing you can buy. You could have bought it. Like when we, when we, so background in 2017, we had Kaylee Donaldson on Cinemaholics. She was talking about Handbook for Mortals, which is a like YA novel that was like a scam sort of thing where they only yeah. they put it out. It was like this terribly written book where they inflated the numbers so that it would be on the New York Times bestseller list. And it was like this big yeah, deal or whatever. Yeah, film I forget I forget the author's name, but I remember the kid from King Arthur's Court or whatever that movie was called. He was like one of the people who like helped co-finance it. So sorry, Corey, I didn't mean to interject with a ridiculous no. tangent, but there you the go. The only thing it's just crazy about- because it's a King Arthur connection, and I okay. Yeah, it is. But the tag Lanny Serum. Mm. What? I think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Lanny Serum. A- yeah, yeah. Man, that book is terrible, Ashen. I read, I read like the free sample you can get on Amazon. That was it, and it was atrocious. I couldn't believe it. But if you want to know more about that, yeah, our, our, we had a, we had an on an on tap uh, segment with Kaylee back when I forget which episode it was, but definitely worth checking out because that is a crazy story. Hmm. It is. I was going to bring up King Ralph. But that's a way more interesting uh, tangent to bring up. So, what's King Ralph? Is that the John Goodman movie? I was, oh. I was thinking of when you're talking about the kid would be king. Where, well, uh, any case, uh, we're, get, we're getting off way off topic. Now, when you talk about the kid in King Arthur's Court, it, it, it's that tagline. You guys remember the tagline for this movie? No. No. Joust, do it. That was on the poster. That's what they used really? to sell this. Just do it. I mean, Nike was a pretty big deal back then, so I kind of get it. (laughs) I get it, but man. (laughs) I don't want to move too quickly away from King Ralph because that's a movie I haven't thought about in so long. That's a terrible movie. Did you like that one, Will? I heard it. 
I never saw it, but um, I heard it predicted the, our current U.S. politics in a way. So I'm curious oh. to check it out. Oh, that's interesting. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an older that's so. an older film, but uh, isn't Peter O'Toole in that one? Yeah, John Hurt. I could not tell you. John Hurt was in that. Oh my! I can't even remember. Holy cow! Okay. Mm. I didn't know this existed. Um, I know that's from the guy who wrote the uh, the Sting, right, David Ward. But anyway, mm. back to the king who the kid who would be king. Um, mm. You guys ready for some trivia? I looked up some surprising okay. facts. We we sort of alluded to this. So Rebecca Ferguson, we mentioned she was the villain, and she was filming this while she was filming Mission Impossible Fallout. Short aside, two new Mission Impossible films have been approved. They're going to be coming to us from Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise in, like, what, 2020 I, and 2021? I have, a, I have also some. Some trivia. Um, they were filming Mission Impossible that the helicopter scene. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, the same location they were shooting the um, training scenes. So there are several shots where the helicopter oh, would ruin I, a take for the kid would be kicked. I did not know that. That's incredible. So, okay. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense in a little way because so I was going to say Rebecca Ferguson. She in order to do both of these films, she was filming scenes for Mission Impossible Fallout. During the week, she said this in an interview. So like Monday through Friday, she'd be doing those scenes with Tom Cruise. And then on the weekends, she would do her tree root scenes for Kid Who Would Be King. And also related to Rebecca Ferguson. No, sorry. What? Do you think like any point during the shooting, she mixed up the characters? (laughs) Like she was sometimes being the like evil villain character on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, if only. Uh, obviously, you can understand that Rebecca Ferguson's range is impeccable just from watching both of these films. I think that she, mm-hmm. she honestly, to me, is one of Hollywood's most underused actors because she is terrific. She is absolutely terrific. And she's been great in good films. I've yet to see her be at her full potential because I know it's there. But regardless... Another piece of trivia regarding Rebecca Ferguson is this is her third collaboration with an X-Men actor. So she was in The Snowman oh, tw- yeah. from 2017. Yeah, yeah. and you reviewed that film on Cinemaholics back in 2017. Mm-hmm. She she started with Michael Fassbender, who plays Magneto, of course, in the, you know, the first class generation of X-Men films. She also starred alongside Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. From also late okay. 2017, and then this is her third collaboration because she she doesn't does she have any scenes with Patrick Stewart? Oh, she does at the very the very end. You actually see Patrick Stewart and her on yeah. screen at the same time. Yeah. yeah, not giving anything away, of course, but yeah, Rebecca Ferguson is she going to be in X Men Dark Phoenix? We don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, also, heard that movie's a mess. So. I've heard, yeah, that that's that's a conversation for a later Cinemaholics day. But uh, some more trivia. I thought this was really interesting. So, the school in the kid who would be king, those scenes they were filmed at Elliot Secondary School in Putney, and this is the same school that James Brosnan, James Bond himself, Pierce Brosnan, attended when he was a kid. <laughs> so I almost, yeah, sorry. I mixed up James Bond and Pierce Brosnan. To me, 
Pierce Brosnan might as well be James Brosnan. I mean, that's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. but no, they, that, that was his school. And another fun connection is that Patrick Stewart, he played the father of Guinevere in Excalibur, the 1981 film. Did either of you see that one? No. No. I, I saw it. I haven't. It, it came out in 1981. It's called Excalibur. It's, it's based on one of the Arthurian stories, and I haven't seen it in ages. But yeah, Patrick Wait. Stewart plays the father of Guinevere in that film. So this is his, I guess, second official sort of King Arthur film. So that's all I got for trivia. That's not the one with Sean Connery, right? In 1981? Was Sean Connery in Excalibur? Oh, was that Excalibur? I might have mixed him up. I forget. I know there's one I saw in school. I actually I don't think we finished it, but there's like a Sean Connery King Arthur movie. Hmm. I was trying to remember if that was it. I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Right. The, the one I'm thinking of is the one that has Helen Mirren in it. And honestly, I don't know if I remember anybody else from that film, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. But I don't remember any Sean Connery King Arthur films. That's that's a gap I'll look in my up. memory. So yeah, you should look it up. But regardless, uh, we should wrap things uh, up here. Uh, I think we've we've gone into pretty much all the detail there can be found with a kid who would be king. I, I I'm happy to say that I really enjoyed this film. That I, I I just think that it's a blast to watch, and I'm glad that it's getting good reviews. I mean, it's been bouncing between 85 and 91 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm happy to say one of my positive reviews has factored into the algorithm. The last I checked, it's at 87%. But I think by the time a lot of people are listening to this, it's, it's going to change dramatically because it, it just keeps, you know, the, the reviews are pouring in as we speak. And I just think that even though this isn't the best film in the world, it's not a 10 out of 10. It's not an A+. plus. It, it's not the sort of film that moves filmmaking in any meaningful direction. I just think that it is a fairly competent and rewarding and satisfying family film in an era when that sort of thing is kind of hard to find sometimes in the world of Peter rabbits, you know, this one sort of shines and I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know, we don't get enough live action family films that are at this caliber, not to be too punny. And I'm glad (laughs) to see it. I, I really, I really think that more films like this should be coming out. I think that, I think that Kid Who Would Be King, it's almost unfortunate this film is so good because it's good on a curve, you know? We should get better films than this, and it that is just saying that this is a good film, and I hope that Joe Cornish, his next film is one that, like Attack the Block, really feels like something out of his true passion. Not that this isn't, but I think we can all sort of agree that the energy and sort of bonkers nature of attack the block it's not a hundred percent here this film feels a little bit more filtered from some studio demands in some ways in some ways that are you know practical and pragmatic and not that i i don't bemoan joe cornish for for making a film like this at all i think that it was a great step for him forward in his career because i think this will make good money for him it will allow him to continue forward as a screenwriter and a director and I'm really excited to see what he does next. I think that this film is a solid, enthusiastic B, teetering on a B plus, but it's a B for me at the current moment. Corey Woodruff, what say you? 
I'll give it a B plus. Um, I really dig it. Uh, you know, I think when you just look at, uh, I think Bill Pope does some great work here. I mean, he's just such an oh, yeah. cinematographer just oh, for, yes. you know, looking at exactly, you know, all the work he's done with Edgar Wright. He shot Baby Driver in 2017. and My like, favorite film of 2017. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's just like, and this movie is in that spirit of Edgar Wright. I mean, just knowing that Near Park, Team Biven, and Eric Fellner all produced this. I mean, this is very much like an Edgar Wright kids film. And it's not quite as bombastic as some of Wright's best movies. But, you know, it's like, this is like the kid version of that. And I think that's cool. I think it's really cool that this movie exists. And I, I this is one of those things where I just hope this makes a ton of money. And it's like a hit and... You know, I, I don't know if that's like a sequel would be a good idea, but I think that this is just one of those things where it's like you just root for it to succeed because if this doesn't succeed, it's not a good thing for the family film. Um, you know, it's like uh, I know not a lot of people enjoy this movie, but, you know, this is my favorite family film since last year's Wrinkle in Time film, which I'm really, really, really big on. I know a lot of people really? are. Yeah, I love that's it. That's a I fun think- opinion. OK, I like it. Yeah. I think it's I think it's at its time. I think there's some pacing decisions that Ava DuVernay makes in that that people have not really come around to really appreciate yet. I think it's great. So I'm hoping that people hmm. kind of catch up to it. Or maybe there's no catching <laughs> up to it and I'm just wrong. But I, just, I wish we had had you on, Corey, because, I mean, we did not like that film. <laughs> and I was yeah. craving to have somebody on who could sort of defend it a little bit. So it's good to hear that oh. you found some really great things to be found in Wrinkle in Time because I wanted to love that film so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. have you seen uh, The Fits, that film um, that came out in 2000? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean to see that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's basically the fits, but it's like a gigantic family. Like you know, the 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 big climactic scenes in both those films are very similar. And I wonder if Duvernay took some cues from that film in the way that she kind of framed uh, how Storm Reed's character kind of reaches her, you know, heroic potential. It just I don't know. It's just they're just such great. You know, those are those are cool companion pieces for me because it deals with very similar social themes, and they really. You know, and they're very different in terms of the way they do it. But I love Wrinkle in Time. That's a separate tangent for something. But yeah, I just I just love family films that take risks. And, you know, and I feel like, you know, it's just you think about how the kids respond to this. And I think that's the most exciting thing is like there's this whole other conversation that we can't have. They're going to happen at lunch tables and playgrounds and kids hanging out at houses when they get this on Redbox one day for their sleepovers. Like these films take life in ways that we can't see yet. And they're beginning to grow underground. And, you know, it's like when space jam came out in 96, I'm sure all the film critics back then were like, Oh yeah, we're ever going to have to think about this again. And now it's almost a cliche pop culture thing that, that people have to talk about. So I think this film could take on a life down the road that we can't see yet. And I think that's just the cool thing about a family film uniquely is that it tends to have a say that is going to be had to said, you know, down the road. And I've, I could see this film not necessarily hitting that audience as hard. Um, you know, sometimes kids just want more of that Burger King junk food mentality, you know, to kind of have more of the fun. And this movie is a little more heady than some of those other films, but I think this film will find the right audience. I think it will find the right, you know, bright young minds to really tap into it. And I'm just really happy for everybody involved. I think that Angus Hermes going places. I think Joe Cornish is beginning to find more of his voice. And I think it's an all around success. I couldn't agree more. And I didn't want to interrupt you, but I did want to bring up the fits because I'm glad you brought that film up. 
And I just want to use this as a moment to say, Anna Rose Homer, we are waiting for your follow-up. It's been a few years and I, there've been rumors. There've been rumors that she might be, you know, talking about adapting a uh, script that she has muddling around with a 24. I don't know. That could be a thing. And I don't want to be that guy who puts rumors out there. Like they're facts. I don't have any facts. But I would love to see another film from you because you are one of the most talented filmmakers. This is a direct, by the way, call to Anna. I know she listens at the show um, every oh, week. Wow. So, yeah, I, I don't hey want to. I don't want to. Hey, how's it going? Uh, we really appreciate your work and uh, you're, you're great at what you do. So that's all I had to say about that. And thank you, Corey, for your summation. Will Ashton, what about you? What are your final thoughts and grades on this one? Kitty would be All right. not the fits. Well, before, sure. Uh, before I forget, uh, the movie I was referring to earlier with Sean Connery uh, was uh, called First Night. It also had Richard Gere oh. as Lancelot. Mm-hmm. I yep. forgot he was in that. Was, oh, my goodness. And it was directed by Jerry Zucker of the Zucker mm-hmm. Brothers, who also directed Ghost and Rat Race, and he hasn't made a film since. So I don't know if I like uh, I'm also going to talk to I'm, uh, I'm painted avid by Cinemaholic Stan. What? I'm painted by nostalgia, and I can't remember if First Night is a good film, to be totally honest with you. Well, I don't know, but he hasn't made a film since, uh, it looks like 2001 with Rat Race, so uh, avid fan of the podcast, Jerry Zucker, <laughs> um, if you're listening yeah. to this, um, please come back and make another movie. Um, that's You're all also welcome, well. you're welcome uh, on Cinemaholics anytime. <laughs> uh. Yeah, Jerry Zucker, uh, acclaimed co-director of uh airplane one of my favorite comedies please come on to my podcast with john negroni and, <laughs> we're, we're uh, down to pick your happy, brain happy. yeah we have a couple questions not a uh, lot just four or five yeah but in any case the kid would be king uh yeah i don't really think i have too much else to say about the film i enjoyed it i thought it was fun i think it's a good follow-up to attack the block um i'm excited to know that this might be a future uh, generation loving film. Um, but I don't know if I'm quite on the same page. So I, I'm between a high B minus and a low B. I think I'm going to give it a high B minus, but I would check it out again. I think it's fun. I enjoyed it. I think it's a good crowd pleasing movie, as we mentioned already. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Joe Cornish does next. Uh, also, I mean, I, also, I don't know if I even talked about, have we talked about Joe Cornish's radio show, Adam and Joe? You know, I've never listened to it, Um, but I was surprised to see that that is a bigger deal (laughs) than I think I initially assumed, to be totally honest with you. I thought that was kind of a a slighter sort of thing. But no, I mean, that's been going on for a long time, right? uh, uh, Well, they haven't done it in a while, but I think ever since uh, Joe Cornish became a filmmaker. But they have a a fake um, theme song that I listen to regularly. Well, it's been going on for like 12 years, right? I don't 11 or 12 think years. So I think I, I, I'm not an expert. Like, so yeah, I'm kind of, um, but in any case, uh, they have a fake theme song for quantum of solace that I listen to regularly and I love the pieces. So I think he's great and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. So yeah, I give it a high B minus. All right. So that is a B average for the kid who would be King. And I think, you know, for a family film, Coming out in the dead of January, like a solid B film is absolutely okay with me personally, <laughs> especially when you're considering three people's opinions. So 
Kitty Would Be King. It's going to be entering a lot of theaters in the coming weeks. And I think that's worth a lot of people's time. If you have kids, I think that this is some great family fare. You already took your kid to see Mary Poppins Returns. You already took him to see Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse and Bumblebee. This is the next one, I think, uh, that you can feel good about taking your kid to. And I, I honestly think that there's a lot of good to be, there's a lot of good lessons in here. And even though it's a little long, I think a lot of kids above the age of probably around seven or eight are probably going to really enjoy this one. And I hope they do. So with that, that'll do it, I guess, for this last call. Corey, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, you know, offering some of your really deep insights on film. It was a blast having you, honestly. Yeah, I I appreciate it. Happy to come on anytime. And, uh, you know, as long as Will's not, you know, trying to get me to hand out more Snyder Fly or something. Uh, Right. I know he's got you busy. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, Tune in for our main show. We're going to be recording a big episode on glass. It's our 100th episode. Will Ashen, I'm so excited. We have so many questions and things coming in from from listeners. I I don't know how mm. we're going to be able to fit it into one episode, but we're still we're still accepting suggestions and questions for all things yeah, yeah. Cinemaholics. Yeah. Please send them our way on Twitter. Cinemaholics podcast at gmail.com is our email and. Thank you so much for showing so much interest in the show. We're extremely humbled by our fan base and the people who listen week in, week out. But with that, we're going to say goodbye for now. From the Internet California, I am John Agroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. And for the Internet from Nashville, we're wondering, I guess. <laughs> you said that with so much confidence, Corey. We'll see you next time. You're welcome.